2: Hello Fightful Faithful, I am Robert De Felice, and I'm here with a face you might know and a name you might know, Gregory Iron, very big independent star, obviously the cerebral palsy having professional wrestler, uh, one of the members of 440 terrorizing GCW. Greg, how you doing
3: today? Doing great, man. And finally we could sit down and finally make this happen. I- I've been a fan of yours for a long time. So this is cool. I I had
2: been a fan of yours since the MySpace days. I remember I had a friend who told me, hey, there's a wrestler with cerebral palsy. For those who don't know, I also have cerebral palsy, and I've been watching Greg since about 2009. So this is a great honor for me, and it's cool to sit down with you.
3: Makes me feel really old.
2: (laughs) Yeah, me too. It's very strange. I was just about entering high school when I found you. Uh, So, how are things, all things considered? You know, despite the pandemic, GCW's run some shows, and you've been on those shows with Four Four O. You've had your own show as part of Fight Forever. Eric Bischoff did the intro. What was that like for you? How's the whole independent scene in 2021 treating Gregory Iron?
3: Man, I'm I'm luckier than most because a lot of guys have been out of work because of the pandemic, and while I'm not as busy as I was before the world changed. i'm fortunate to still be pretty active with wrestling and gcw making that happen for me and just the 4 4 thing has really blown up since everything has gone down especially i think what really helped us was right before the pandemic started is we had that big show in jersey run ricky run where we started a riot after we beat Nick engage and i think that really helped our momentum once everything stopped because I think it gave people this almost this to be continued type scenario like, okay, well, what was going to happen next? How long do we have to wait? And leave there wasn't too much of a break, but I think it really helped the popularity of the things that myself, Shane Page, Addicts Cody, Eddie Only, Bobby Beverly, or Brian have been doing. And I mean, we've been selling more merch than we've ever had in our entire careers and just the social media presence is great. The videos that we've been creating is awesome. And just the overall interaction at GCW and other places that we go, just the real animosity and the heat that we have when we go places, which I feel like is hard to come by in this decade. It's been a really cool experience.
2: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that because GCW and a lot of the popular independent wrestlers, it's very, it's very much like a family. It's very the fans know the wrestlers, the wrestlers know the fans, the, you know, the regulars, they all interact on Twitter and 440 has genuine heat. Uh, you will hear a chance of RS pussy and uh, just visceral heat. And what is that like for you knowing that you're actually able to get that reaction in an era where everything is so wide open?
3: I mean, I love it because as a professional wrestler, you know, we live in this time where K Kayfabe is dead and, the wrestling fans are a lot smarter to the ins and outs of professional wrestling. But I think, and I've said this several times before, I think the only magic that we have is, as performers are those moments where we make people suspend their disbelief. And I I think a lot of the fans that are chanting the things they're chanting and doing the things they're doing, they're in on the joke. They, they're they in on the bit. I think they want someone to boo and they want someone to cheer because wrestling fans are smarter than, I think most people give them credit for. But there are those people that can't blur the line between reality and fiction. And there's a genuine love in Nick cage and guys like Esme and Alley Cat and Mance Warner. And there's a genuine hatred for anybody that opposes those characters. And I think that's a testament to the emotional investment that those characters have created for themselves. And I think 440 has just proved that in a day and age where I think a lot of people that followed professional wrestling or deep in professional wrestling have this belief that the athleticism is, is what really matters and their are gray and you don't really need good guys and bad guys because everything's exposed. I think what 44 has done is proven that people do want to emotionally invest. I mean, can you imagine going to watch a movie where you, you can't really decipher if there's a defined good guy or a defined bad guy? I mean, there's, there's so much television in the same age where, for example, Breaking Bad, there are layers. Like, uh, you can start out loving someone and something can happen where you're sort of torn about how to feel about them. But either way, they create this dynamic where you're going to ultimately love them at some point or you're going to hate them. And I think that's the beauty of professional wrestling. And what we're creating right now, I think we're just proving that you got to love someone and you got to hate someone and people want them.
2: I think that's a great way to put it. I know this day and age, it seems like, they want so much transparency, and it's good to know that even though I think everybody knows Gregory Iron, despite the 440 stuff, is a good person behind the scenes, it's important that you're still able to get that reaction, out because you guys are doing the job well, because we've seen a lot of heels who will just get cheered and maybe even work with that, so it's... It's nice to see you guys and specifically you embrace that heel side because for a long time, you were just the inspirational wrestler that has cerebral palsy. So to see you show layers and add a new dimension is very cool to see.
3: I appreciate that. Well, it's one of those things, too, where, you know, not everything is is just as easy as um, good and bad, you know, like just because I have a disability you know, as a character, doesn't necessarily make me a good person. I think that's what I wanted to show that like, I'm okay with embracing the idea that at the end of the day, when this is all over, I'm probably going to be known as the pro wrestler that had cerebral palsy. And that's fine, because like yourself, there's a lot of people with disabilities or know people with disabilities that are inspired by that story. However, you know as well as I do, you're a human being. You're more than just someone with cerebral palsy. And, you know, loving wrestling as much as I do, I know that there's elements elements of myself that I wanted to be able to show or elements that I could portray that go beyond being the guy with cerebral palsy. And just, again, I mentioned something about layers. And when I do seminars, which I was doing very often before the pandemic, and I've had the opportunity to do some during the pandemic, which I'm very thankful for. One thing I always talk about are, are the layers of a character and how every person we meet in our lives, every relationship that we have, whether it's good or bad, to build the layer to who you are as a character. And I think that's what happens in professional wrestling. I think every wrestler that I've ever wrestled, every wrestler or character that I've ever interacted with on screen, every promo, every good and bad interaction has created an element of Gregory Iron that perhaps before I met that person, I didn't know how to convey on the camera. No different than in life, there are some things that you're trying to find about ourselves, things that we like, people that we want to surround ourselves with, who we are. We don't find those things unless we find these things that we can emotionally invest in, things that we like, things that have hurt us, things that have made us stronger, and that creates who you are. And I think that's what happens as a wrestling character. And so, you know, I, I... I've been able to show these sides of me through the good and bad that depict someone with a disability. That isn't necessarily the best thing because Robert, you know as well as I do, that there's some people out there that do have disability but exploit that. And so I wanted to show that element of that that you know even though I have this disability, perhaps I'm a I'm a scumbag piece of garbage and I'm going to take advantage of that and make it more than it is. And just I like the idea of being able to show multiple sides of who I am as a character and as a performer because. I would like to be known as not the pro wrestler with cerebral palsy, but a pro wrestler that just happens to have cerebral palsy. Because I think when you book an African American, you don't book him as here's the black wrestler. He's a wrestler that happens to be black. You know, like I think we have to change the perception of how things are viewed. And again, at the end of the day, if I'm remembered as a guy with cerebral palsy, that's fine. But I really take a lot of pride in being able to show all the different sides of me to show that I'm not just this one-dimensional white baby face. Uh,
2: You said that so well, because there have been times, I know growing up for myself, where people will want to hand you things just because, you know, you have cerebral palsy, let's make it easy. And I, there's a point in my life where I said, you know, I have to prove this is just the additional aspect that you're getting because you're getting me But it's very important to me to, let's say, like, not just be given a job because you're working within a program that happens to say, we have a certain quota to fill. You know, you want to be beyond that quota. And I think you nailed that perfectly. And now, I mean, there will be other wrestlers with cerebral palsy down the line, I'm sure. But you're always going to be that pioneer. And you've shown that there can be layers to being a wrestler with CP. But that being said, if we go back to the beginning, what was the original journey like for you? Because obviously, when you say I have cerebral palsy, and people look at maybe something like your grip or something, and they think, is this guy going to be able to protect me in the ring? What kind of hurdles did you face early on?
3: It was really just a matter of finding my strengths and weaknesses in professional wrestling and accentuating the positives and hiding the negatives, but also... You know, more so than the disability. I think people think that was the biggest obstacle, but I think the biggest obstacle was myself because, you know, I don't know your exact experience growing up, Robert, but I was bullied, I was made fun of, and then I didn't have the best home life. And so, especially after high school, you know, uh, I felt like I always had to be on the defense in high school. I didn't realize that there was a light at the end of that tunnel. So when I left high school and I got into professional wrestling, I thought that I had to tell people what I was going to do. I had that chip on my shoulder that, in some ways, people did have a chip to drive me. And to this day, I think there's still remnants of that chip, which are very important because I think as good as things get in your life, I think it's very important to remember how hard you work, the struggles that you went through to get to the moments that are are good, the best moments of your life, because I think that is a reminder to keep, keep working hard, keep busting your ass. But at the same time, maybe that ship was a little bit too big and I depended on that a little bit too much. And instead of showing people what I could do, I would tell them. And there was a moment early on when one of the guys that I really credit for a lot of my training, Josh Prohibition, he pulled me aside and he told me, you're a dickhead and no one likes you because you run your mouth and you cause problems. And if you continue to act this way, I I don't want to have my name associated with you. And you're going to blackball yourself in wrestling. And that was a wake-up call for me because I respected Josh Prohibition so much. Him and M-Dog 20, I think, were pioneers in independent wrestling, really transcending what an independent wrestler could do. You know, you talk about guys that can really make a living on the independent level in 2020. I don't know if that's possible if it isn't for guys like Josh Provision and M-Dog who really transcended just the local shows by appearing in that Backyard Wrestling game back in 2003. I mean, that was my first exposure to them, and it made me believe that uh, a wrestler could come out of Cleveland, Ohio, because before there was The Miz, there was really nobody. Like, we had Al Snow out of Lima, and that was pretty much all you could see on national television. And now today, it's crazy to think about there are so many guys that come out of Northeast Ohio, that have made it to the top of the industry. It's pretty humbling. I'm going off on a tangent here, but the general idea was if it wasn't for Josh Prohibition pulling me aside that day and telling me, look, show people what you could do and shut the F on it. I don't know if we'd be having this conversation right now. So at the end of the day, the biggest obstacle is myself. And I feel like that's the biggest obstacle for most people, whether it's in a negative way as far as the attitude, um, thinking you have to be on defense or just the idea of thinking you can't accomplish things and listening to the lies that people tell you. Because when you enter something like professional wrestling, even if I would have had the best attitude, I think I would have been surrounded by people that I would have thought it was ridiculous. Not only because pro wrestling isn't something that everyone does, but I'm 5'4", and I have cerebral palsy. There was a lot of outside forces surrounding me telling me that I couldn't do this. And I think there comes a point where you need to tune out the voices not listening to your brain necessarily and just start listening to your heart. I sound like a fortune cookie right now.
2: You know, it's it's funny that you say you sound like a fortune cookie, but a lot of what you just said echoes shades of just my own experience in life because you're right. Sometimes when you have this defining thing that you go into it going, this is the thing that everybody's going to say defines me and you you're so defiant about it and almost come off, the wrong way about it now you're letting it define you in the worst way possible and all of a sudden like you said you are your own biggest obstacle so I think that that's very relatable and it's not just for this it's for so many things we see people get so caught up in one aspect of their lives that they forget it's a puzzle and you're that's just one piece and I I appreciate that as much as you know it's it might seem like it's just everyday life for you. It's very, very relatable.
3: Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. I think that's, you know, I'm going on 15 years in professional wrestling and I like to think that that's one of the reasons why people connect with me because I'm I'm very okay with being vulnerable and open and sometimes it's hard to come to terms with, but I'm okay with owning up to mistakes that I've made in my life. And I think... I don't know, people can see a genuine person. And I I just wanna be open and honest. And I wanna be the individual. I I don't know, if if someone looks up to me and finds inspiration in the things that I've accomplished or done, that's really cool. I think I'm just myself at the end of the day. But like more than anything, I just wanna show people that if you're just a decent person and you're just real and upfront about the struggles you go through, I think you'll get a lot farther. And you'll find that at the time where you felt alone, or you think that no one else has gone through the things you've gone through, you'll find a lot of people have, and it helps to be relatable.
2: That's very well said. And one of the people you looked up to growing up was a person that would eventually become a tag team partner for you, and that's Zach Gowen. Now, what was your first meeting like with Zach Gowan? Had you already had that moment of clarity where it's like, okay, I need to not be a dickhead? Or were you still like in your own head when you first met Zach Gowan?
3: I think I was a little bit on my own head, but I, at that point, I already had the conversation with Josh Prohibition. So the first time I met Zach, I had that conversation with Josh in October, and then I met Zach later in October of 2006. And first time I had met Zach, he just kind of was dismissive and sort of a dickhead. And Zach, little did I know, he was going through his own turmoil and struggles with addiction and alcoholism, and he wasn't the best person I've ever met upon my first meeting and I was one of those things where after I met him I couldn't come to terms with the fact that he was a kind of an asshole and then it just hit me one day and I was like man that was not a good experience and it just it, he didn't really offer anything to me I, I really went to him for advice and tried to sit down with him and he just kind of brushed me off and I did at least one more show with him at some point I remember him kind of making fun of me in the locker room I was like I think I hate this guy. He's a horrible person. And fast forward to 2010, he gets out of rehab, and I just happen to be the first person that he teams with and has a match with, and once his rehab, is all said and done. And for a long time, promoters have been saying they wanted to put us together because I was a disabled wrestler, and Zach was a disabled wrestler, and no one's ever done it. It was just weird, the timing of what it happened. And me and Zach, team, we had chemistry. We had a no pun intended, the handicap match, it was two on one, we beat this big guy, it was somewhere in West Virginia, and I remember that one was like a different person. And it was pretty clear at that point that the reason he was the way he was when I met him the first time was he was drugged, you know, and he had flipped his life around for the better. And he had pitched to me after the fact that he enjoyed working so much that he made me to be a tag team. and. Dude, I literally remember calling my dad, and my dad doesn't understand my passion and my love for wrestling. And he's kind of he's kind of reserved with his emotions. He doesn't know how to express himself. And I remember calling my dad and like almost crying that Zach was so good to me because it was I don't know. I get emotional over wrestling, man. I mean, I get I get emotional in general. I'm probably more emotional than most people realize. But when it comes to wrestling and life moments like that, where he was a guy that when I was sixteen. He didn't realize it, but he really pushed me and inspired me to get into this profession. And now I get the chair ring with him. And now he's coming to me wanting to be a tag team. And it was just really overwhelming. Trump, I wish I could say that the first impression was great, but it wasn't. But the, the general idea is Jack made up for it after the fact. And now I can sit here and say that he's one of my best friends, which is crazy. And I'll never stop being surreal to say that.
2: I think that's more to the point of sometimes it doesn't always have to end at the first impression. You know, we are people, we are building and Zach turned around for the better. And that's really cool. I remember when I started seeing you guys teaming, it made all the sense in the world. And I remember thinking at the time, like, well, of course they'd put the two disabled guys together. You know, why why are they doing that? And but obviously you guys have great chemistry and Zach's gone on to do great things. He was on American Ninja warrior. He's really in a good place in his life. And that's great to see that it doesn't always have to end in the dark spot. You know, you can come out of it and that's just really awesome. And a really great story. Now, when I started watching you, you were in pro wrestling, Ohio, and you were wrestling a guy who by the name of, Johnny Gargano. Now that's an indie name and I'm sure we'll never get anywhere, but obviously he's gone everywhere and he's literally the prodigy of Shawn Michaels these days. What is that like for you as Johnny's friend to see like Shawn Michaels loves this guy. Triple H
3: loves this guy. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird, but it's also not, you know, it's almost, it's a I mean, I'm biased because Johnny's my best friend and we lived together for so long and we trained together. I feel like in a lot of ways we we found ourselves. We grew up together, you know, like both inside and outside of wrestling. And I think wrestling helped us do that in a lot of ways. But, you know, I, I used to always tell Johnny when we were, like, working out and stuff that one day he was going to be in the WWE and he was going to be the champion. Like, I just, I don't know, I, I'm not... Very certain about a lot of things, but I've always kind of been certain about that because there's just something about Johnny. He's a different breed. I can't even describe it. Like he He's like me in a lot of ways, which is why we're best friends. He'll never show it, but he's got the stupid sense of humor that I have. I mean, he's showing it kind of now on NXT, but he's a little morbid off camera and he's got a little bit of a dark sense of humor and he just jokes about ridiculous stuff and that's why we communicate well, but he's a hard worker he's dedicated and you know he would tell me back in the day that when he'd go to sleep at night he had a hard time shutting his brain off and i would always say why are you such a weirdo just go to bed and he would say i just keep thinking about wrestling and i'll think of spots and it's something i talked about on my podcast with the iron on wrestling because i don't think anyone else knows that about him and so i was able to pull that out of him because i I asked him if he thought that's why he was on a different level and if he still does that. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores
1: led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin-Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off
3: that and I don't
0: know I think he's more maybe that
3: was a little bit of an insecurity with him but he um, he thinks about wrestling non-stop I mean he's, he's able to sleep better maybe that helps that he has a beautiful wife and everything but uh, you know he just it's always going on in his brain and just the fact that a guy like Shawn Michaels who arguably the greatest of all time you know I why wouldn't Shawn connect with that it's pretty often to know that we used to sit in a room he and i where his mom painted Shawn michaels on his wall it's like that's how much he loved sean michaels and now uh i mean i don't know if he wants me to share this but i don't care because it's a funny story you know he told me recently that sean michaels walked up to him at tv and saw a pair of shoes that johnny was wearing some sort of like workout shoes or running shoes he's like oh johnny where you get those shoes and johnny told him and literally the next day at tv Shawn Michaels had the same shoes that Johnny had on. He's like, hey, Johnny, Johnny, look, look. And, you know, I know Johnny's sharing that story with me. He's like, what the heck is my life, you know? And, uh, I like, a couple of years ago, we were just talking about how he's always communicating with Shawn Michaels. And I frequently talk to and Steve Austin. And these are the two guys that really, in a lot of ways, ushered in the Attitude Era with WrestleMania 14. What is life? like, well, how is this happening? And Johnny was like, let's just go with it. And I said, yeah, let's just go with it. Like, like why is this happening? Who, who knows? Who cares? It's happening, and it's pretty cool.
2: That is awesome. And really, it's it's a testament to the love of wrestling and how something that simple is really the thing that connects all of us. Because I believe it was Kevin Nash who said once, if you really wanted to be in the click, all you needed to do was love wrestling. And as you just described, Johnny clearly loves wrestling. And with that being said, does Johnny genuinely hate wheels? <laughs> he's
3: he's not a fan, man. Uh, you yeah. know, and also, maybe that's the reason why he didn't start driving until he was like 23 or 24. He legitimately didn't get his license until about that time period. Like, I would always be the... I mean, I, I am in 440. I was always the wheel man. I mean, that's the way it's always been. And when we need to go somewhere. Like, I... Johnny swears this isn't true but I think he was afraid to drive for a long time because if I'm correct and I could be a little wrong I'd have to re-ask him the story I remember him telling me there was an incident with him driving a go-kart when he was younger and it like went off of off of the track and maybe I'm like making up part of the story but like it went off the track a little bit and like he didn't get hurt or anything, but it just gave him some weird phobia of driving. And so he like waited until he was like 24, 25. So I mean, those wheels, they're nothing to mess with
2: It's clear that wheels versus Johnny needs to be a WrestleMania match in the future. I think so. Uh, You know, so there's another WrestleMania big time player who shortly after what is now 10 years later, a legendary Promo in a legendary moment of his own career came out to an independent show and said to you, You're fucking awesome. And that was CM Punk. And what did that moment do for you? Have you ever kept up with punk in the 10 years since? And looking back on it, what did CM Punk do for Gregory Iron in that moment?
3: Well, I think it's simple. You know, CM Punk really gave me a career in wrestling. I was at crossroads in my life where I didn't know where this wrestling thing was going to go. I was was sort of wondering and waiting like as to when someone's going to notice how hard I'm uh, I'm working at professional wrestling. And, you know, I'd always seek advice from people that had had more success in wrestling than me. One of those people was Colt Cabana. Colt shared my story with Punk. Punk was able to give me the incredible opportunity of publicly endorsing me in a ring in Chicago. And I had no clue what's going to happen. And I don't know if you didn't shine that spotlight on me. I don't know how much longer I would have gone in wrestling. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks that I'm too dumb to quit and I would have kept fighting and I would have found some other way to make a name for myself. But if it's, if it's not for CM Punk and Cole Cabana, I don't know if there's a spotlight on me as quick as there was. And as far as keeping up with him uh you know we had a long conversation that night in Chicago probably for like 45 minutes or an hour it was one of the coolest conversations in my life and it didn't even seem real because just none of that day that evening that moment made sense I don't know if it ever will because I love CM Punk you know he was one of the reasons why I wanted to be so dedicated to being straight edge and um as far as keeping up with them, literally the only thing that we've done in the year since is we've exchanged tweets about sheets and Wawa back and forth because he's a Wawa guy and I'm a sheets guy. And I don't think i heard from him for about seven years. And then all of a sudden he just started tweeting at me about Wawa being better than sheets. Me and uh, the blade, uh, Andy, Andy Williams and or the butcher. And, um, yeah, just it's, that's that's what we tweet about. We tweet about a Wawa and sheets. It's really weird and random. Now you're dedicated
2: to sheets, like I am. You, you're a sheets guy all the way through. By default, I'm a Wawa guy. I haven't had a sheets. I've had a few Wawa shakes. I think they're very good. But so what's your favorite thing to get when you stop at a sheets?
3: Well, right now, as soon as we're done with this interview, I have uh, for my cheat day a um, made-to-order steak eggs, and tater, tater's burrito. Um, it is delicious. I eat this when I want to eat bad. I also have some um, mac and cheese bites. They're uh, very delicious. I'm going to dip them in some cheese. They also have a great soft pretzel um, uh, on a regular basis. I can also eat healthy there. They have great salads, and they have a very lean turkey wrap that I enjoy as well. In fact, I'm so dedicated to Sheets. I'm actually a part of the Sheets Insiders Club which is only about 500 people in the entire world. I mean, that's a pretty big deal.
2: I mean, there it is. The loyalty is there. Uh, But so you mentioned the butcher, you've mentioned Colt Cabana They're in AEW. Obviously Johnny Gargano is your best friend. He's in NXT. When, if ever, will we see Gregory iron on a global stage?
3: That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I, I would love the opportunity to wrestle for any company that will pay me, quite frankly. I mean, I love what NXT's doing. I love what AEW's doing. Uh, I've said I've been a better kid my whole life. But I don't. I have to be honest with myself as I'm getting older. I'm 34. For whatever reason, I think when you're in your 20s, you always put a timetable on getting signed to a contract. And me and a lot of other guys would always go, well, if I'm not signed by the time I'm 30, I'm done But as you get older, you realize a couple things. A, this obsession, this passion for wrestling isn't going anywhere. And B, most of the most successful pro wrestlers really have their prime years in their late 30s and early 40s. And I don't know. I think there is a spot for me on TV. I think there's a a great story that I can tell through my character and through my real story. And I could parlay that into an audience that may not necessarily be wrestling. However, if I could just contribute to pro wrestling in any way, shape, or form, even behind the scenes, I think I'm okay with that because I've learned in the past couple years that I really love teaching and just sometimes I feel like, you know, cerebral palsy is secondary brain damage, right? So I've always felt like, because I'm very limited in what I can do as an athlete, I've always had a better wrestling brain than a wrestling body. And I really love explaining things to people the little things in between moves that make things work the storytelling the professional wrestling the promos and then i like seeing after i teach this to a kid him going out and doing those things and learning and understanding it's thrilling for me so if i can just contribute in some way and make a couple bucks i don't need to be rich i don't want to be rich i just want to be comfortable i was a poor kid growing up maybe a part of me still has that poor kid mentality i just want to be wrestling because i love it and be able to take care of myself that's I think
2: that's the ultimate dream. Right, well, that was very well said. And again, parallels to so many different things. I couldn't agree more about knowing that the brain for wrestling that you end up developing just through the sheer passion, it can sometimes uh, supersede the fact that maybe you're not the most athletic. And for you, because you've been in the industry for 15 years, I can't imagine how much that knowledge and that passion has expanded and how much you're able to actually help other wrestlers. But like we've mentioned this, people can be dicks. Uh, When you're mentoring a young wrestler, has anybody ever just completely blown you off for the sheer fact of uh, what does this guy really know? And, you know, look at how he wrestles and look at what he's working with.
3: I I don't know if that's what's going through their mind. I mean, I know there's kids that have blown me off or you can tell, When you're trying to give them advice, there's a lot of yeah, but guys in the locker room now. It's like, you know, um, hey, sir, can you watch my match? And I'll go, here and I'll watch the match, and then I'll give them honest feedback. And their first response is, yeah, but. And, you know, like, I think a lot of these kids ask for advice because they're taught to ask for advice, but they're not taught to listen. Like, that's the point of asking for advice. And I don't know everything. I'm still learning. I, I'm learning all the time. But I like to think that there are things that I've learned and experienced and done in wrestling that a younger kid that wants to be successful in this can learn from. You know, it's one of those things where you have a lot of voices listening to you all around you. Or listening to you. you have a lot of voices that you can listen to all around you as you're coming up in wrestling. And sometimes it's hard to cycle like, for you to listen to. But I think the best advice that I could give someone is, you listen to the people that you see have success and you want to be in their position, you listen to those people. And so maybe guys don't want to be in my position. That's fine. Maybe they don't want to go to the places that I've gone to. That's fine. We all have different goals and aspirations, but I'd like to think that, you know, if you just, if you listen to the guys that have done things, I think you'll get success and you'll find that if you genuinely want advice from someone that has had success, it doesn't cost anything and those people will be willing to pay that price because they want other people to be successful so just you just to ask questions again if I didn't ask questions to pull Cabana my thing with CM Punk doesn't happen. and if I don't befriend people and I'm a genuine person that people like for example Andy Williams he's the reason why I ended up on Stanford Steve Austin's contest because I wanted to help him as a wrestler so we got the wrestler at a war tour one year we became friends he did Stankwood's podcast with uh, Pepper Parks and, and Allie. And he said, hey, if you were ever in, in California, I think I can get you on podcast. I think you, your story would be great on there. I just happened to be going to California. I go do Stankwood's podcast. And now I'm friends with Stankwood's B. Austin. And my mind will never decipher why that's a thing. But it's like, just be a good dude. Like, that, that's all. Like, that's the point of my rambling.
2: Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's so surreal to even think about being friends with a megastar. The guy who is probably solely responsible for WWE even being able to go public is Stone Cold Steve Austin. And you're just able to text him like an average person. And that's the cool joys of wrestling that I, I love hearing those stories because it shows that success comes in so many different forms. It's not just, the main event of Wrestlemania and the World Championship it's just reaching these little personal milestones that let you know that you've made it yeah. so as we, as we wrap up here there we've talked a lot about representation and GCW is huge on representation uh, going into this next collective in Tampa there's for the culture and Effie's going to do another big gay brunch and all these events now, obviously, I don't think there's an extensive list of disabled professional wrestlers. But if there were, have you been on the lookout? Have you thought about, hey, maybe there's a place for more of us in GCW or just trying to find more representation in the disabled community in professional wrestling?
3: You know, that's a good question. It's something that I haven't thought super in depth about, but I think about it a lot in terms of sharing those stories on my podcasting platform, Iron On Wrestling. You know, I just sat down and talked with a man by the name of Adam Pearson that, you know, he was born with a facial disfigurement because of an type 1. I recently sat down and talked with a young lady by the name of Vet Adams who lost her leg in a motorcycle accident and then decided to become a professional wrestler. I think there are a lot of people both inside and outside of the wrestling ring that are very productive within the wrestling community. They contribute a lot. And I think, you know, people lose sight about how prevalent people with disabilities and people with developmental disabilities are within professional wrestling. And it is nice to see their representation. However, at the same time, while we all have goals, you know, there's some people that their ultimate goal is just to be in the ring. And I often have to tell these people with disabilities that the most important thing first and foremost is to be safe. And there are some people with disabilities that being in the ring isn't exactly the safest, safest thing in the world. But that doesn't mean your dream has to end, And you can contribute in other facets of professional wrestling. If I would not have become a professional wrestler, I would be doing what you're doing right now, Robert. I'd probably be doing podcasting. I would hopefully be trying to do commentary, within professional wrestling, writing for television or for magazine. Like, those were my initial goals. Luckily, it was safe for me to wrestle. And, you know, now we're having this conversation today. But I think just at the end of the day, representation from all walks of life is important. And if I can be some sort of beacon of hope for the disabled community, I love being that. And I think there are a lot of talented athletes out there that, you know, are missing limbs that have disabilities, mental and physical, that have done a lot of things in professional wrestling that no one thought possible. And just a couple decades ago, maybe they wouldn't even got a chance for that. So to be able to sit here today and see so many representations in that community in professional wrestling, it's a pretty cool and powerful thing.
2: Well, again, personally, I thank you for at least opening the door to say, hey, this is possible. And I'm sure I'm not the only person over the years that's told you that. So it it does matter. And I am grateful for you. Now, I know outside of wrestling and your podcast, you also do a lot of motivational speaking. Tell me about that. And tell me about why that is something that you feel through the years has helped you spread your message just as much as the world of wrestling.
3: Motivational speaking has been literally, and I'm not joking, it's the only thing that I've ever done in my life that has given me the same feeling that professional wrestling does, And it's wild to even hear myself say that because I didn't know if there was going to be anything in my life that I ever had the passion for that I had with professional wrestling. But there's something about, even for a moment, being that person that goes into a school and talks to a kid. and like to be able to be that person that I needed when I was a kid... And, and sort of connecting young men and women and know the struggles that they're going through and being able to be vulnerable with them and them open up to me and share their stories to make them feel like they're not alone, to be that person, I mean, it feels just as good as suicide diving out of the ring, man. Like, I just, there's something, there's a feeling I get for pro wrestling that I couldn't find in any other walk of life. And I I don't think it's because I couldn't find something that requires me to yell or jump or pretend to be some crazy person sometimes. Like, doing that crossbody or that suicide dive, that gives you a certain feeling, but at the end of the day, it's all rooted in passion. And I think when I speak to kids, it's rooted in passion. And just to be able to be relatable to them and to help them with their struggles and to hopefully connect with even one person on a deeper level to where they see me and they go, you know what? This weird handicapped guy is doing it. Why can't I be a weird, whatever I am, why can't I just be a weirdo and be successful at my dream? Like that's a pretty powerful thing. And I'm happy to be that. It's, it's, it it, 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 it it's nice. But at the end of the day too, like it gives me a feeling the same thing that wrestling gives me that money can't buy. And that's, what's the most important thing to me because money comes and goes, but this, this, like, this is all, we have at the end of the day when we go to bed at night and just i love speaking to kids it's amazing
2: very well said and obviously you're going to continue on your journey in wrestling 440 on we will have a lot of representation at in tantha for wrestlemania weekend and plenty of times before that so where can the fans catch you on social media, in the ring, what is it? where is it that we can best support Gregory Iron?
3: Well, if you want to support me, you can support the podcast, first and foremost. We drop episodes every Wednesday, Iron on Wrestling on iTunes and all major podcasting platforms. And if you like what you hear from Iron on Wrestling, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Iron on Wrestling, where not only do you get podcast material a day early, you get extended podcasts, you get bonus contests, uh, contests, bonus episodes but uh you actually get bonus stuff from my career and i'm even more vulnerable on patreon than i am in real life on social media i share stuff that i'm not going to share on social media pictures videos old matches full events there's so much on the patreon it starts at just three dollars and i'll follow you back on social media so we can dm directly all the time and it's not just a content creating community i think we're, we're creating just a pro wrestling community in general you know it's not about the content it's about like these connections when we get off of here i'm going to do a zoom call with guys that pay five dollars and up and we talk for hours sometimes a few hours once a month it's a cool experience so i suggest you check it out that's patreon.com slash iron and wrestling and then you can follow me on instagram at gregory underscore iron or you can find me on twitter at gregory iron and if you want to look for wrestling or motivational speaking perhaps a seminar i'm available to dm for those things.
2: All right, and because I I need a wacky headline for this, and I'm sure you'll be the guy to answer this. Who would Johnny Gargano say wins in a fight, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or DX?
3: Man, I think he's picking the turtles. I mean, they they can use their weapons, right? I mean, that makes the most sense.
2: That is true. I mean, that is, when you put it that way, yeah, that's pretty black and white about it. That's that's true. They got weapons. DX, they do have a tank, though. They might be able to make it work with
3: the tank. That's true. Um, and we, if we pick the Ninja Turtles from part two, the, the part two of the movie, they actually weren't allowed to use the weapons in that movie because part one was rated too violent. So I guess we are thinking in terms of that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it would just be a draw. I don't know. I can't pick one or the other. That's rough.
2: And that is rough. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time. And I look forward to hopefully doing this again very soon.
3: Thank you. It was a pleasure.
2: All right, guys. So, again, if you want to check out Greg, follow him on Twitter, at Gregory Iron. Follow everything we're doing at Fightful Wrestle. Follow Fightful Select. Subscribe today. You got all your uh, breaking news. Sean Ross breaks all the news every day. There's always something dropping. So, keep supporting. And until next time, we're out